Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh without further ado here's part of the mindset behind and, and in terms of so you you mentioned a few things in terms of education so a library of books um i guess d- diving into the youtube world of of grant cardone and the like what was what was the kind of key um I guess the key parts of your your education in real estate was there kind of a, a mentorship anywhere, or was it just the books and YouTube University? Yeah, so I actually never went with the I never went with an actual paid mentor or coach. And to be honest, I wish I would have because a what I would have paid for that would have removed a lot of uh, mistakes that ended up costing me way more than any mentorship or program would have. Uh, so at the time, initially, I did it. Now I am doing some coaching at this level, but I should have done it. I should have done it right out of the gate because I, I there was very costly mistakes. Um, from, but from an information like uh, educational standpoint, um, yeah, it was just podcast. It was YouTube um, books. And then after that, it was basically trial and error and learning from my mistakes until you know building up a portfolio and then uh, now i do some just some coaching to kind of take it to that next level it's kind of interesting right because when i was getting into my first deal i guess my first deal in the states in terms of getting a short-term rental you know you run the numbers and you're like oh this is terrifying and what if this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen but it's not real estate doesn't often go to zero so you might have losses or you might have drops in revenue but to hit zero is kind of a fluke so actually there isn't you know it things aren't as bad n- numerically as, as when you kind of start to think about the worst case scenario i don't know if you you kind of felt felt like that when yeah. you were starting to run numbers for sure and and i heard uh, a good quote that uh you never lose in real estate as long as you hold it long enough right and Of course, you could actually lose like if you were completely just like a wild deal, right? But if you buy, if if your first property, especially is like a house hack or you buy um, just to start gaining some knowledge. And I'm not saying like you shouldn't go go chase bigger things or anything like that. But if you can minimize risk, the first investment that you are coming right out of the gate, um, there's really not a whole lot of problems there. If you have a W-2 job, it offsets your taxes. If you don't have great cash flow, play the appreciation game. Just hold it long enough where one of the benefits soon outweigh what your mistakes were. And I don't think enough people look at that. They're like, geez, I was hoping to make 300 bucks in cash flow. It's like, well, you also just flipped four houses, made $200,000. And part of this rental, you're going to be able to depreciate the property. You're going to have all these uh, improvements, repairs. So like the, real estate's multifaceted and you need to look at everything rather than just one specific thing. And the mistakes on one property, 
you shouldn't make them on another one, right? So like if your first one, if you can minimize the risk, you can learn from your mistakes, adjust for your next one. In my book, hold the asset long enough and it's a win-win. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least visit a little bit about what you were saying earlier, which would be uh, different podcast books, some educational materials that some of our listeners might be able to you know, take some some advantage of. Uh, do you have any specific books and podcasts? And we're totally fine plugging other podcasts on this one. We have other podcast hosts on on a regular basis because we all have a lot of similarities and, and interests. So uh, do you have anything specific, any particular shows that you like to listen to uh, that maybe some of our listeners could could pick up? Yeah. So to be honest, right now where I'm at, um, you know, some of the good ones like Jonathan Green, he's got a good one out. It's a podcast that's out. And then for me, where I'm at, and to be honest, I'm such a, I'm really heavy into uh, mindset, business, less about the intricacies of real estate, because I think there's only so much informa- information gathering from a real estate aspect. But the mindset, the way you develop and overcome obstacles is kind of never ending. And I, I've got a great book here uh, to help with some of those things. And it's called The Slight Edge um, by Jeff Olson. And it's incredible. It's all about, you know, taking yourself to the next level, how to make small decisions compound over time, which ended up basically putting you in a position that, believe it or not, I mean, the slight, it gives you a slight edge over everybody else. Um, so that's, that's a great book and I've been re- recommending it to everybody. Uh, again, slight edge by Jeff Olson. It's less about the intricacies of real estate, more about the, the mindset, um, as a whole, which I think is extremely borderline more important in real estate than the actual understanding of the game. Yeah. I've been kind of finding that lately. I've been reading a lot or listening to a lot, um, of kind of mindset and, and kind of, how to self-improve or how to kind of get get that edge um those kind of volumes and it's been really interesting um relentless by tim grover is is really great one i've just started listening to the third way um which is all about the third way into a into the kind of the life and the world and whatever you're trying to get access to and it's really interesting i can't remember the author's name i think it's alex something um but it's it's really interesting um i if i can i'd like to pivot to that so that first deal was the duplex you moved out then what how did you how did you process kind of scaling up and what did that look like in the real world so i moved out of that duplex and again at this time i still had w my w2 job was making good money i was making um yeah like 100, 120 150,000 a year so again i was making good money and investing in the midwest so i moved out i was traveling all over the united states um working at this time I was working in, in, um, yeah, like California, Minnesota, literally all over the place, uh, Florida. So I was traveling and at this time I wanted to keep buying real estate, but I wasn't in the area where I wanted to buy. So I kind of took a route, um, in investing in Milwaukee or yeah, Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Green Bay, Wisconsin, where you can buy a single family home, uh, at 60, 70,000, you can put about 15, 20 grand into it. And it rents for 11 to 1300 bucks a month. So what I did after that is I, I moved out and then started saving. I saved up about 15 to 20,000. I plugged it into a next asset. Like, and again, I, this was not, this was not my plan. Like you can't, I can't scale this way, but this is what I did then. Right. And it ended up paying out. Um, so this was at the end of like 2019, early 2020. So I was putting like 15 to 20% down. We were cleaning them up, renting them out. 
And then I did this like three times over a course of six to seven months. And this has been since being in real estate for, yeah, probably, probably just shy of a year. And I saw these properties and this was during 2020. We all know what happened in 2020, like and and prices, the, the price of houses started skyrocketing. I'm like, geez, and rents. So then I came across um, basically the Burr strategy and I was like, I can do a cash out refinance, get my capital back. I can still cash flow the same margin that I am. Yes, I take on a little bit more debt, but I'm still only leveraged at 65 to 70%. And so I pulled my capital and then I reinvested it. And then you just kind of start rolling capital. So you, you the way I was buying is I'd go buy, uh, and we were offering at volume. So another piece, and I'll get back into that. We were offering on 10 properties before getting one. And when I say we were lowballing, we were lowballing. We were putting tons and tons and tons of offers in. And I say we, because at this point I started developing a team with acquisition managers and stuff like that. But um, we, we offer at volume and we offer off the MLS. We, um, we buy well below what it's worth, even in its current state. We fix it up and then we do a cash or refinance. And while, while all this is happening, you're taking, I'm taking out more money than what I ever had into it. So I might put 60, 70 grand into a property but I might be getting 80, 90,000 back and cash flow and still leverage good. So my bankroll just keeps kind of growing and it makes us be able to go from doing two deals a month to now four. We also brought in some hard money lenders, which obviously helped us scale, but that's really, that's really what we ended up doing. And, and just, it was all about KPIs and numbers for us. And, and we just kept rolling with it. Sounds like you became a business owner and uh, which yeah. is fantastic. That's what I think a lot of people who are looking to scale on a large scale should be looking to do in the first place. So I'm really curious about that journey for you because I think any investor who who wants to get big enough, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna cross this bridge that, that you did. So I'm curious what that looked like going from invest investor to business owner. So when did you finally decide, okay, I need more help. I can't do this on my own anymore. Uh, I guess that would be step one and, and step two would be how did you decide what it was that you needed? Because it'd be really easy. It is really easy for a business a new business owner to become very top heavy. You're like, okay, well, if I'm going to start delegating, I need to get an acquisitions manager. I need to get investor relations. I need to get a bookkeeper. And then in addition to that, I need to get a CPA that's not doing bookkeeping. You know what I mean? So I guess it, maybe that's a really super long question, but if you could just try to you know step that out for us as best you can. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, to be honest, I appreciate, I can tell your, the, the level of intelligence of this podcast just by the question. So I appreciate, I definitely appreciate those, those level of questions, but um, yeah. So for me, that, that was it, man. I went, you go from being an investor to going to be a business owner and to, and you don't know it. You don't even know that it's happening. And for me, the, the piece that really clicked was I maxed out my time. And that's what I tell everybody. And what I love about business is is it's easier to teach, in my opinion, the business strategies rather than just investments. Because everyone today talks about real estate as passive real income, like real estate's passive income. And I think that's the, in my opinion, it's the biggest lie ever. Because if it's if it's truly passive, then you're not involved. And if you're not involved, then you're not controlling your asset. So in in my opinion. Um, I realized that I maxed out my time, everything that I could do, I maxed it out. I maxed out my capabilities to what I could buy. And I, I started realizing what am I good at? What I'm good at is analyzing deals and creating systems. So 
the first thing that I knew I needed was either a help from a project manager, either bringing in a project manager to start running all construction, all renovations, or uh, start partnering at a higher level with property managers. So the first piece that I brought in was property managers. And again, I couldn't keep managing properties myself. And I did for like the first two or three, and that easily, very quickly went out the door. Um, so brought in uh, property managers. They took off, I mean, geez, probably five to 10 hours of my week. So I bought that back. And I, you give up 10%, I give up uh, like, yeah, eight to 10% depending on the property manager. But I bought back my time. And I can go, if I get 10 hours a week back, I can, I can go buy another two, three properties or even one property that'll pay off that 10%. Um, the next piece that I went and got was an acquisition manager. And the way I was able to do this is basically pay him through my underwriting process. So if I were to go buy a property for $100,000 and I, I, I paid him per on-market deal was $2,000, per off-market deal was $4,000. And all I did was very simply, if I would normally offer on the property $100,000, I would offer now ninety-eight or ninety-six, depending on where it came from. So I took him, I wrote him into the deal. And to me, it was no more money out of my pocket. At a hundred grand, it was already a good deal. And a lot of people would be like, well, Carl, you could save money, but it's, it's not about that. I save money by saving myself time because my time can be utilized elsewhere that ultimately make me more money. Um, so that was kind of the process of my first couple hires and really my transition from, hey, Kyle, you're an investor to, hey, Kyle, we got to start bringing people on if we're really going to make this thing not an investment, um, but rather a business and, and a sustainable business. And, and you're right, um, Kyle, when you said that people can get top heavy and I did it, I brought too many people on to not only, it wasn't, I could underwrite them into the property, but I didn't know how, I wasn't a manager. I didn't know how to manage these people. I didn't know how to, I was like, wait, do I got to have a weekly meeting? Do I have to, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for a huge learning lesson. Like now I'm, I've, I've learned from it. Um, lost some employees even from it. And it's uh, a great learning lesson, expensive learning lesson. But again, like I'm 28, like I, I'm, I'm good. I, I learned a lot of lessons early on. Um, so I'll be able to, you know, be a, be a better owner and CEO moving forward. But um, yeah, long story short. What, what was that biggest lesson? What, what was the kind of hardest lesson learned, I guess, in terms of uh, recruiting and, and kind of keeping, uh, keeping a business going? Uh, yeah, the, I'll, I'll give you two. One was kind of, uh, the intricacy of a business and one's rather an emotional side. I actually hired my best friend, hired and fired my best friend, um, hired my best friend. He came on, he was not doing, um, things just weren't working out. And you, and people say like, you shouldn't hire your best friend or your friends. And I don't agree. I think what you actually end up finding is when you hire people close to you, you get a lot closer and you find out the kind of person they actually are, how they deal with situations, how they overcome obstacles. Are they actually a hard worker? And um, so from an emotional side, it was very difficult at 27 years old to fire your best friend and just say, hey, man, this isn't working out. Um, and he was ultimately relying on me, right? He was relying on me to fund his life. And it ended. Like, I, I just told him, like, it wasn't going to work. And he, we we're fine now, right? Like, that's not it. It rather, um, I wasn't ready for it from an emotional aspect. I was like, I don't, I've never been through this. I've never fired anyone. Like, holy cow, this isn't just investing. This is business. So there was that piece. And then, um, more of the business side 
was um, staying into the weeds a little bit longer, actually, where I started trying to overdevelop uh, standard operating procedures, uh, procedures and methods before they were ever really needed um, and constantly switching them uh, to try to figure out what's work rather than sticking to pen and paper a little bit longer, not only to help uh, my employees uh, develop the understanding of what they're doing before we actually start implementing technology or procedures or systems. And not that you shouldn't have them, but you shouldn't, in my opinion, you shouldn't go from, um, you know, running your num- your numbers on a, on a calculator to now, uh, you know, hiring acquisition specialists. Like we, we had a manager and like three specialists underneath them. We didn't even need them. In my head, I was just thinking more people, the better. And we weren't even doing more volume. So, yeah, I just think we started implementing too much technology. I'm just going to sound crazy, too fast, and our capacity couldn't sustain uh, kind of the the what the beast that was running it. No, I, I think you're spot on. I think complex technology is great, but complexity for complexity's sake is That's not it. great. And why, you know, why build some ridiculous CRM that's custom when a Google Sheet would work? That kind of yeah. thing. Exactly. Really I'm a Google Sheet guy. So, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Investories podcast. And uh, as you can imagine, with super stoked with that content, amazing strategies, amazing techniques um, that we've really been able to dig into. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing kind of the next phase of that, which is really all about. Uh, the case study kind of real world examples and how you can do the same we're going to call it Wednesday wins and we're going to tackle that on the next episode thank you for listening to the Investories podcast we all have a story what's yours the Investories podcast